Hey, how's it going? Good? Good. This is Hal in Philly with a very special episode of my podcast. I'm talking with everybody's favorite freelance human being, James Lee Stanley, on this episode of Tales of the Road Warriors. This was recorded just days before James was scheduled to have a squamous cell carcinoma removed from the base of his tongue, along with some surrounding nodes. He's resting uncomfortably and, and trying to sleep sitting up with a tube down his throat, according to a recent post he wrote on his Facebook page. You can help him out by purchasing James Lee Stanley CDs and merch. Links to uh, his online store will be on the show notes page. So just go to talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash James dash Lee dash Stanley. And there's links to uh, all the things we talk about in this episode. So where to begin? <laughs> there are singers, singer songwriters, there are philosophers, there are humorists, there are entertainers, and then there are freelance human beings. The powers that be have been trying to define James Lee Stanley for years. Well, think Will Rogers with a guitar. I'm not trying to go into a long introduction here, but briefly, here's what you should know. James Lee Stanley has recorded about 35 CDs. If you closed your eyes and picked a single one, you will have picked out a collection of songs that you could listen to multiple times, like the one you would want to have if you had to choose which CD you'd want if you were stuck on a desert island. He's that good. His latest is the critically acclaimed Without Susie. Well-crafted songs and a voice that soothes the soul, whether it be a ballad or rock and roll. Speaking of rock and roll, James has toured with Peter Tork before during and post monkeys as well as recorded peter Tork's solo albums and as a duo uh peter and james dubbed the two-man band on his beachwood recordings label but wait there's more in 2005 he also recorded an acoustic album of songs by the rolling stones called all wood and stones with john batdorf from batdorf and rodney and then he followed that up in 2011 when he collaborated with Cliff Eberhardt on All Wood and Doors, which were all acoustic Doors songs. The original members of the Doors, Robbie Krieger and John Densmore, were so impressed with what he had done with the Stone songs, they offered to contribute their talent to the All Wood and Doors project. It's nothing less than astounding. No, that's not it. Amazing. No, that's not it. Incomparable. Fuck it. I can't think of an adjective that does it justice. But wait, he's not finished yet. Do you like Led Zeppelin? Well, good, because he recently finished recording All Wood and Lead with Dan Navarro of Lone and Navarro. And I have to claim some bragging rights here. I got to listen to some of it while in the car with James on the way to a radio station interview. It's still in the mixing stage, but here's a heads up. I give it an OMG in gigantic capital letters. And now, let's get on with the conversation with one of the most prolific and talented road warriors I've ever had the pleasure to know. JLS, James Lee Stanley. Let's talk about your Philly roots. Was growing up in Philly as rough for you as it was for me? Uh, you know, I, we came back from Africa when I was uh, six, I think, and uh, just before the school started. And uh, what, I, what, what were you doing in Africa? Your parents well, was, were on safari? I, yeah, I didn't have any choice. I was a little boy and my parents went to Africa. So, I mean, my father was stationed there. He, they, they recalled him for the Korean War, and then they sent him over there. They recalled him in 49, and, uh, and then I guess in 50, we went over there, and then we came back in uh, about 52. So you were like an army brat? Uh, Navy brat. For lack brat. of a better word. But only for that, I mean, you know, I, when I was born after the war. My father was a civilian. 
but for the Korean War, they recalled him because he was he was in some top secret cryptographic radio thing, and they thought that uh, they required him for his services. And back mm-hmm. then, they would just recall you. Guess what? You're we're, we need you, so you have to come back. Yeah. Back then, people just did, you know. Yeah. So I know your sister Pamela is musically inclined. I think I saw her down in Fort Lauderdale once. And yeah. So and, and I read in your bio that your dad taught you how to play the ukulele when you were a kid. My uncle. Your uncle. Your uncle. Okay. Yeah, my uncle from uh, right around you out there, man, in Philadelphia. Near Norristown. It's someplace like Norristown, someplace near there. I can't think of the name of it now. Probably. It doesn't matter. Philadelphia suburb is where he lived, and I lived in Paoli, uh-huh. and my grandparents lived in Drexel Hill. You know, I just I know all about that place, Springfield. And when I was a little boy, we used to go down this road to Springfield, Springfield Road, actually. And uh, and there was a, a beautiful colonial white house, a house painted white with the black shutters. And I and I looked at it and I always loved it. I always thought it was like a perfect house. You know, we, we lived in a little shitty house in a development, but yeah. this was a nice house on uh, Springfield Road. And uh, is it still there? Yeah I, yeah, I can actually give you the address. Uh, in any event, uh, years and years and years later, th- this friend of mine who uh, became a fan of my music in Los Angeles moved to uh, to Philadelphia to be with his, his lover. And they live in that house. Oh, my goodness. And, and so they had a house concert. I finally got to go in that house. And I was – it was amazing. It, was, it felt like a bookend thing because I'd seen it my entire life. Like whenever the Henry I was in James Pro- story where the guy goes, the ghost was you. Yeah, yeah, pretty fun. So, did you go Anyhow, to the Electric Factory concerts or t- the Tower Theater? Were you here then, or oh, was that after you uh, left? Uh, let me see. I played the Tower, and I played some other place uh, with Robin Trower. The hell was the name? I, I forget, man. I you know I, I've been I on the road for the Tower years. too, or Electric. Well, electric it was uh, it was it was the second time, and it wasn't the Tower Theater. It was. Uh, another place on uh, uh, just a great big building downtown on one floor. There wasn't an upstairs or a downstairs, just one floor. That, that the turnout was really poor, and that the guy refused to pay me. Yeah, same Maybe old that, story that's still happening today. Well, not yeah, with I was you, but with, with I didn't musicians. have a man. I didn't have you know any any clout. He said, "Well, sorry, you know, I didn't make enough money. I'm not paying you." And I went, "What? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm three thousand miles from home." contracted to do a date with you and and you're telling me no and of course when you have a contract you don't listen to this musicians pay attention to this when you have a contract it doesn't mean you have a guarantee of the money it means that should you go to court you have the right to collect but if you consider that for a second a contract should be the right to collect but in fact it's not it simply gives you permission to go to court and sue the mother the the, the guy uh, for not paying you yeah, you could drop the f bombs here. This is a podcast, so oh, that's right. I don't have the NBC censors on me or anything, James. <laughs> no, but you know, I'm trying to get rid of my potty mouth. I hear you. So now I want to get this chronology right. So in '64, you had a fake ID and worked at the Shadows, and, and that's you, where you, you met Peter Tork. That's where I met everybody: Cass Elliott, John Phillips, Dennis Doherty, Henry Diltz. No, it was in Virginia Beach. Okay, that was Virginia. Yeah. So, yeah, and Peter, yeah, Peter and I became friends then, and we were friends all the way until February nineteenth this year. So, uh, see, I thought you went to Greenwich Village and met everybody up there, and then you. Met I, the, I did go to Greenwich Village, but that was afterwards. Oh, okay. I went there so first. Virginia Beach came first. Yeah, because Peter said you should come up and and uh, and stay with me. So, so I did. But when I got there, oh, this is weird. When I got there, he'd already gone to California. I had the address. It was 365 Broom Street. It was like a fifth floor walk up. And uh, and so I walked up there to knock on the door and no one answered. So I tried the knob and the door was open and I went in and the place was a, a wreck. But no one was there huh. because Peter Peter had gone, spontaneously gone to California. Jeez. Yeah. So then, and, okay. So then in 65, but before that. That would have been 65. Yeah, and in 65, you opened a club called the Foghetto. I did, in, in, uh, on Freemason Street in Norfolk. High, so now, if in 64, you worked at the Shadows, how are you, like, that's what I was wondering. You opened a club with what, what money? Did like, somebody lend you the money, or you made that much working at the Shadows? Or you had a, like, no, a I made a lot of money performing, to tell you the truth. I, I made more money in the summer of 64 than my, uh, than my father made all year, and I made it performing. Wow. Uh, uh, and, I, and I bought a little car, which my friend promptly wrecked, a little Sprite, bug-eyed Sprite. 
and uh, I bought a motorcycle. <laughs> no, no, I bought the motorcycle after we opened the ghetto. In any event, uh, when I got after the summer ended, there was no place for me to play. Right. And and uh, there was one little little thing at the end of an uh, I think it was called Folk Alley. It was in the end of an alley in, on Sixteenth Street in Virginia Beach. I met Roger McGuinn there when he was named Jim McGuinn. Matter of fact. In any event, there was no place to play, and so I got together with some friends of mine, Ronnie Holloman and Bruce Stampley, and we decided we would open a, a club for teenagers, for folk music. Okay, so you and, did go in with a couple partners then. Yeah, right, and we each had to raise $500, and because that's, uh, that's, that's all it took. It was 1500 bucks to open that place. And, and my, uh, my dad, for the first and only time in his life, ponied up some money. Uh, he was notoriously cheap. But they, we were poor. You know, it wasn't like he was cheap. We were poor. But he supported uh, you. He believed in you, apparently. Uh, but, he, but he said, uh, you know, I'll match whatever you can raise. And so I I got $250 that I hadn't pissed away <laughs> over the summer. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and he matched it with $250. So the, so the three of us incorporated this. We called it Empire Enterprises Incorporated. And we opened this little nightclub. And, and uh, interestingly enough, we didn't have uh, when we found out how much it cost for tables and chairs. We thought, what are we going to do? We can't afford it. And I said, well, you know what? Let me talk to Don Schreier and, and Steve Saunders from the Shadows because their club is closed all winter, and maybe we can borrow fifty tables and two hundred chairs because oh, the place really? seated six hundred. Uh, the Shadows seated six hundred. So I, I said, let me see if I can borrow fifty tables and two hundred chairs, and we'll and then we'll return them in the spring. Uh, you know, after we make money and. Uh, and believe it or not, they said yes. They loaned me the tables and chairs. So I went down there with the truck, and the place was locked up tight as a drum. But there was uh, an alley that was only three feet wide between the, the shadows and the building next to it. And I put my hands against one side and my back and my legs against the other. And I edged up to the second floor and opened a window and crawled in, opened the door, because there was no alarms then. Right. And, uh, and we took the 50 tables and chairs, and 200 chairs, put them in a thing, took them to the club, and we had them there for uh, two, two months, by which time we made enough money to buy tables and chairs, so we did. And uh, it, was a, it was a success from the very first, very first night. It was, you know, we, we, had, we knocked the door out. Uh, we went down the alley, cleaned the whole alleyway out at the ghetto, knocked the door in the back, uh, knocked a hole and put in like a really nice old wooden door and one of those antique lamps, and that's how you entered. You know, you didn't come into the front from the front. You went down the alley and entered in the back, and then and then the stage was actually uh, kind of like a know. secret word too, like a speakeasy. You know, yeah, it, it made it made it a little bit more romantic. You yeah, know, uh, and, uh, sounds cooler and so than hell. It, it, yeah, it was a it was a success from the get go, and uh, and then we uh, sold it to this. This uh, this slime bucket uh, guy named Nabil, and uh, and it promptly went down the tubes. After that, that happens. Are you still in touch with the guys, or are they still alive? The guys you uh... Uh, yeah, Ronnie is a, a right wing Trump supporter and doesn't talk to me. <laughs> and uh, and Bruce got busted for flying in a hundred pounds of pot, and and uh, in nineteen sixty seven or something, and uh, he was a private pilot and he you know he thought he'd make a killing we well, got said, stories ladies and gentlemen yeah so uh so uh, but but i think bruce served some time and then came out and he's uh he's a very bright guy college educated i i'm sure he's fine but he hasn't uh every time i played in in uh, norfolk virginia beach uh, bruce hasn't come but our accountant uh came and i hadn't seen him in years so i'm still in contact a little bit i had ronnie's address in florida where he retired and i sent him an album but uh I sent, him the I sent him the apocalyptimus. <laughs> he didn't respond. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. That's appropriate, though. So now let's jump ahead a little bit to more recently. I, I was fortunate enough to accompany you to um, WFDU last year where I met Ron Olesko. The, yeah, it was actually DJ. this year. Huh? It was the spring of this year. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Was it that recent? Yeah. And, yeah, it was. Uh, and I noticed you two had a really great rapport. So, so prior to the interview, and so I was just wondering how that, how did that relationship begin? Just you know what, Ron Ron Olesko is simply a remarkable man, and uh, he's part of the Folk Alliance. And I joined the Folk Alliance because there was no place else where acoustic music was being nurtured. You know, I think I joined about 15 years ago. I ended up serving two terms on the national board, 
And so while I was on the national board, I felt it my responsibility to go to all the regional conferences. There's a national conference every year in February, and then there are regional concerts uh, that happen uh, around the country in the spring and fall. Mm-hmm. So I felt it my duty to, to, to introduce myself to all the regions and to meet the people. And when I went to NERFA, which is a Northeast Regional Folk Alliance, I met Ron, who is a DJ, and uh, and he liked my stuff, and we we hit it off. You know, we had it. We just yeah. We, no, I could tell you, you had a good rapport with him. Yeah, no, I mean, I sincerely like. If he wasn't a DJ, he would still be a friend of mine. You know what I mean? I yeah. I really I really like and admire him. Well, I and, imagine uh, in your travels, you meet a lot of DJs, and when you do a lot of those kind of radio interviews. Yeah, so, yeah you know, I, I mean, I've done I've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews, and and uh, and and I like some of the DJs very much, and some of them. Uh, I appreciate that they're professional doing their work, but I don't, you know, I don't uh, call them or or hang out with them. You know, some of the, some of the DJs I actually go and stay with them. You know, when I'm in yeah. town and and I mean, so, you know, I'm friends with some of them. And Ron is one of the ones I'm, I'm genuinely friends with. And by the way, he started a new thing called the Folk Notebook, and it's 24 hour of uh, acoustic music on uh, the internet. And I not only contributed some money to it, but uh, I, I was talking to him about the fact that. That most folk music stations seem to play nothing but uh, but traditional or 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 stuff that comes that's very you know one generation away from traditional. And I said there's a lot of really wonderful progressive musicians that started in folk music, but you know they learned more chords and they uh, they learned more more sophisticated harmonies and and they're writing about different you know more important topics and you're not playing them. And he, and he said, no, I play them a little bit. I said, yeah, I know a little bit, but I'm just saying that, that they're, they're not being sufficiently represented. And so he said, well, why don't you do it? So I've just uh, so I'm doing a radio show uh, once a week for him. I'm just uh, this week putting my first show together for him. And uh, it's progressive folk. It's like people that that came out of folk and just I don't want to use the word better, but I will use the word more sophisticated. They they became more sophisticated musicians and composers, and uh, and there's no place for them to play because pop radio is is you know rap and and uh, and teenage pablum, and folk music right now. I mean, NPR radio will play traditional music and bluegrass music and country music, but they won't play these these people that are doing something beyond folk music, which maybe is what I'll call the show beyond folk music. So then later later on after we left Ron's we we drove to a you you were did, you did a concert for it was I I a retirement community, um, and you had just put out the Without Susie album, and you explained well, how where you was got, this was that the one in Delaware yeah I think was it in oh, Delaware it might have been yeah yeah it was definitely Delaware it wasn't a retirement community it was just a, although it looked like was it, it, it was a great hair. It was a. It was in a. It was in a church, and it's a concert series that the that that the guy who runs it. Uh, I think because the church donates the room, uh, is oh, why okay. it's in a church. Because I I wasn't required to uh, to tiptoe around religion while I was there, right? Which I didn't do. <laughs> you never do. <laughs> now I'm a little bewildered by delusional mythology, but that's another topic. So remind me how the album without Susie got its name. Cause you, you, oh, you did. it's easy. There's nobody named Susie on the record, so it was a natural, you know. No, <laughs> I, it, it comes from the French, French expression uh, "sans souci," which means uh, no problem, without a care. Care, you, you know. Oh, gotcha. Cares? Oh, all right. And, and I and I, it's supposed to be ironic because most of the songs are inspired by the orange turd and his GOP enablers, you know. So, yeah. uh, but I, I tried to be, I tried to be musical and. Uh, and provocative, but not insulting or accusatory, you know, right. like that song Dark Road on the album Without Susie. It just says we're going down a dark road. Uh, there's no telling where we're going. Something in those shadows doesn't seem right to me. You know, that's that's not saying, hey, you motherfuckers, you're pissing on our Constitution, which is what I feel. But uh, but I, it doesn't rhyme. So I, yeah, I didn't. Well, hear. I also remember you had a more upbeat kind of thing with you got them all singing along with the Memphis song. Oh yeah, right. And and uh, and, uh, and what's the other and one? A lighter that's, moment. <laughs> there was also that uh, "Live It Up Now, You Can Live It Down Later." Yeah. Oh yeah, that was good. Like which, that. which is also political because it ends with "Let that politicians, let the preacher preach salvation and and the fires of hell. Let that politician tweet his lie. Uh, let that politician 
tweet his fuck i can't remember uh you better you got plenty of time to rehearse now yeah <laughs> really now just, on the yeah. Next. so then, uh, i've really been distracted by this squamous cell carcinoma it's yeah they got, can't yeah it's got it's got to be wreaking a little havoc on the brain there now wait i want to ask you something politicians spew his lies let him tweet let him yell time will tell there you go that's what amen orange shit gibbon so later uh, during that concert you performed a very funny monologue and i and i wanted you to tell that story if you could uh when you talk I about no people idea. taping your shows Oh, making lots of money, uploading them to YouTube. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's just a bit that uh, on stage. I don't want to I don't want to. So that's yeah. that's reserved for people who pay to see the shot. That is more. that is. And it's and it's and it's contrived uh, to to give them a little guilt. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, a little impetus to perhaps support the arts further than just buying a ticket and by buying a CD. You know what I did do, by the way, uh, I put a thing on uh on my Facebook page, because people kept saying, James, this is terrible. This cancer in your throat. Can you sing? What can we do to help? And I was thinking, well, you know, their letters, just the, the well wishes helps. But then I thought, you know, if they really wanted to help, they could they could just go buy a CD. That would like that would encourage me, nurture me, and it would also help defray the enormous costs of being sick in the United States of America in but, this century. But James, they only have 35 CDs to choose from. How are, how are they possibly going to make up their minds? Well, I'd like them to start by by making sure that they, in their collections, do have each and every one of them. There you go. Collect all and, 35, folks. But seriously, and, and, uh, um, I have Christmas, my favorites. You can't. Christmas you, is coming, Hal. Christmas is coming. So they can give them to somebody else, too. Exactly. But if I, if I may say so, it doesn't matter which one they choose. They're going to get a great CD. And if they can afford to buy all 35, I say go for it. I know I have my favorites. I love... I love uh, uh, what is it? The Resurrection. Um, Backstage of the Resurrection. Backstage of the Resurrection. Great album. Yeah. And then I you like have that earlier stuff like the where um, the one that political parties on, which you haven't Go done in beyond. a long time. Right. Uh, L.A.'s Fairweather Friends. That's uh, Domino like, Harvest. Yeah, I always like that one. Too. L.A. Fairweather Town. That's what it is. Fairweather, Fairweather Town. Yeah. 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 Very tongue in cheek, but I, I. You know what else? Uh, can we talk a little bit about the? That's a that's a that's my phone, and that ringtone is Timothy Schmidt and I singing "I Told You Never to Call Me Here." <laughs> it's uh, it's my brother-in-law wanting to give me well wishes, so I'm going to turn the phone off until this is over. Thanks, Timothy. Do I have to pay royalties on that now? <laughs> no, he's I gotta get very, a license. You know what, Timothy called me uh, two nights ago. He had the same thing I've got. No. Yeah. You're and he's Timmy and Michael Douglas. And he's cured. Well, there was there was a lot of spontaneity going on back then, you know. So in any event, we're oh oh. I wanted to talk about uh the duet albums that I've done with uh well I've done three with Peter Tork. I I produced Peter's solo album, then I did three duet albums with Peter Tork. I did two duet albums with John Batdorf called All Wood and Stones One and Two. Right. And I and uh, with Cliff Eberhardt, I did All Wood and Doors, right. which uh, and and the premise for these recordings is that I take well-known songs by by uh, famous you know rocking groups like the Stones, like the Doors, and then I do acoustic reinventions of the songs. Yep. And uh, and they liked it so much that both Robbie Robbie Krieger and John Densmore played on the Doors record, and uh, and on the Doors and the Stones we had. Timothy Schmidt and, and Paul Barrera from Little Feet and, and uh, Lawrence Tuber from Wings and, and Peter Tork from the Monkees. And, and uh, I mean, everybody on those records was famous except me. Yeah, oh, you're famous. But in People Magazine famous, you know? Well, yeah. But believe it or not, that was one of the questions I was going to ask about. How, how, and, I, and I wanted to comment on that, too, especially the uh, all, wooden, uh, all Wooden Doors. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, or, or Stones, for that matter, because like like a guy like me, I I, I do cover tunes. I, I go I do a lot of covers, but mm-hmm. I have this tendency to like if I'm doing a Bowie song, like I'm singing, you know, I just try to do the voice. By doing Neil Young, I try to sound like Neil Young. But you but, take but these songs. You're doing the you're doing covers. Yeah. No, but nobody know, could ever do, accuse you of doing cover tunes because you're taking these songs and you are totally remapping them and making them 
your own. It's, it's almost like. Well, have you ever heard of, uh, 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 I mean, I'm not saying that I am a jazz musician because those guys have a de dedication that I've never been able to uh, create. But but jazz guys will take a song, you know, and they will make it something else. Yeah. And, and they will reinterpret it. And also, prior to the Beatles, vocalists all would take a song and reinterpret it, you know, in their style. And uh, and I, I must admit that that I, I've been, I've seen the Stones six times. Okay, you know I, I've seen them six times. That's obviously I'm obviously a fan, but I never liked their records. Uh, I mean sometimes, but mostly I didn't because they I liked uh, I like Steely Dan. I like real uh, yeah great playing. I like precision. I like incredible engineering. I like I like really. Uh, I, I well, like arrangements that have both steel, intellect and Steely Dan says it all, James. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so Rolling Stones records never appeal to me, you know. But, but the fact of the matter is that the songs they wrote are really wonderful. They're wonderful songs, and and I thought if I were doing those songs, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do Satisfaction the way they did it, which which I must admit is one of my favorite records of theirs, by the way. I mean, I love that when it came out. I love it when I hear it now. But I thought if I was doing it. I would I would just do it differently. I, I, you know what I think as an artist you uh, you always call up upon inspiration. I know that when I'm playing a lead on one of my albums, if if I'm not getting, if it's just not happening, you know I can't figure out what kind of lead I want here. Sometimes I'll just go, okay, what would Lindsey Buckingham play if I called him in here and he and he sat down? And then as soon as I say that, I I've got a a, a way in. You know I've got a. a I've got a uh, an idea because you just imagine. Okay, come on. How would Steve, what would Stephen Stills do here? You know, and then and then you go. Oh, he would. Well, maybe he would come out with all mac and cheese. <laughs> you know, all mac and wood. <laughs> Listen, I'm three songs away from from finishing all wood and lead with Dan Navarro. Yeah, it's coming out so great, man. He he is Dan Navarro was part of a duo called Loan and Navarro, and they wrote uh, We Belong. It was a smash world hit for. Pat Bennett, and and he's been a friend of mine since he was 16. He used to come to my concerts at the Caves in Santa Monica, uh, and we became friends. But I never really recognized what a truly remarkable singer he is. When he came to the studio and we started singing, I, I was I was sincerely threatened. I thought, Mother of God, this guy sounds so great. I sound like I'm phoning it in next to him. So I mean, it really it really forced me to up my game. You know, he's well, he's you, a great you singer. And Dan are, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, you and Dan kind of live a very similar life out on the road and doing the house concerts and whatnot. You know, he was a singing yeah. waiter where I used to work before I worked there, so I never really met him. Oh, right. Well, Severin Brown at the same yeah, place. Yeah, Severin right? was it? I think Severin was High Pockets. Dan Navarro was Dan Navarro high pockets too because I worked at this the Great American in Santa Monica, but it was Poppy owned both. both <coughs> of those. Big, yeah, Severin worked there, and so did Dan. So I got to tell you, we're having a fiftieth reunion this year at um, you know oh, really? Mark Backrack. He lives in Thousand Oaks. I know his name, but I don't. Well, we're having it at Mark's house in Thousand Oaks. Yeah, I'm trying to get a hold of Dan. If you talk to Dan, tell him to come to the. Reunion. We want to. We want them there. Yeah, send me the stuff because we'll be talking to him to, probably today or tomorrow. So just send, uh, text me the info and I'll get it to him. Okay, I will. Yeah, I'll and do that. You, did you, what about Severin? Yeah, we contacted him. He'll probably be there. But we have okay. seven months to get a hold of him, and uh, uh, assuming they're not on the road, you know, in, in another state, right. sure. if they can make it, we'd There's love, some, you know, to have everybody that works for Poppy too. there. There were some women too, right? That. Uh, oh, pa yeah. Uh, Katie Segal worked there. Ricky Lee uh -huh. Jones worked there. Well, Ricky Lee's in New Orleans, so I don't, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, but no, it was quite a quite a, a who's who uh, people that that worked there. Mm -hmm. Some for only a couple of weeks or a month, and others. For, I worked there for six years between the GA and Poppy Star in the Valley. I, I was slinging uh, burgers and playing guitar tableside for six years. I got wow. some great stories myself out of those times. I played for Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. Then I handed him my guitar and he played me one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. Man. Yeah, we've all got this. We've all, you know, we, every one of us. Somebody was saying that person shouldn't be famous. They're not really. Somebody who was a fan of mine was saying some star wasn't as good as me. And that, and I said, listen, here's the way it works. 
We all have sucked so many eggs, every single one of us, that anybody that makes it deserves it. That's all there is to that. Absolutely, yeah. I, I wanted you to touch base a little bit more, a little more on uh, Peter Tork and the two-man band and the beginnings sure. of Beachwood Records. Sure. Go ahead. What do you want to know? Well, you start. Uh, however you want to start it. Well, uh, I started the label because I, I made an album uh, with my comedy and my music. Because on stage, uh, you probably can't tell from this interview, but I'm actually funny on stage. And and uh, I made people said, we want to buy a record that, that has you uh, your music and your comedy. So I made the record and then I shopped it and literally nobody wanted it. Uh, some of the labels told me, well, you know, you got to decide, James. Are you a comedian or are you a singer? Or are you a songwriter? You know, pick one. Even... Uh, was, I dated this lovely actress who took me to William Morris Agency, and and the guy listened to everything and he said the same thing to me. He said, "Well, you know, James, you got to pick one, man, because you know you can't be a singer slash songwriter slash comedian slash composer slash actor." And he said, "If you pick one, you know, we'll represent you as a comedian if you want, or I'll represent you as a as a you know a singer songwriter if you want, but you got to pick one." And then disregard everything else and i say well i've spent my whole life doing what i do i said haven't you got a, a, a haven't you got a category called entertainer you know but it turns out no <laughs> they don't have <laughs> and so i thought no entertainers I, here i thought well you know what i'm not going to stop doing what i do just so i can get i mean maybe i didn't think this through because an agency like william morris could certainly do a lot for you and and once i was in the spotlight i could certainly re resurrect any other thing so in retrospect I probably should have, uh, you know what, Hal, I just, I've never been able to go against uh, my uh, my heart, you know? Yeah, but that's one of the endearing things about you. I, so, I, I so they, go ahead. To get you back on track, though, this is what led you to start your own label. So I started my own label. And, uh, and after I made a couple of records, and they actually charted on, uh, it was called Adult Alternative Radio back then. Right. And... Uh, and even on those uh, wave stations, I was getting a lot of airplay. And I charted uh, several records, and the label became legitimate enough to be distributed by uh, Capitol Records. And I put out a bunch of other friends' records. And then uh, Peter and I were talking, and I said to him, you know, uh, one of the monkeys, uh, Davy Jones was coming out with a solo album. And I said, Peter, why haven't you made a solo album? And he, you know, he was so self-effacing. He said, well, geez, James, nobody's asked me. And, and I, I laughed, are you kidding? I said, listen, I have a studio, I have a label, I have distribution. Let's make a record with you. And if we can't, it, it, we'll shop at all the majors. And if, if nobody wants it, then we'll, we'll put it on Beachwood. We can't lose. It goes out with real distribution no matter what. So we did an album together called Stranger Things Have Happened. And uh, he said, as we were finishing it, that he decided he did not want to shop the record. He said, look, James. You, you know, you put so much into this thing. I just want to put it on your label. So Peter signed to my label for free. I mean, just for, look, not free. It was like, you know, six months of my life yeah. devoted to making his record. And uh, and him not paying me. I mean, I didn't charge him, you know, until uh, I guess we were three months in when my wife said, you know, honey, we really have to, you know, pay the rent and stuff. You're doing, you're working seven days a week with your friend and, and uh, you're not making any money. And, and uh, so I I thought, well, that's, that's not actually unreasonable. And so I went to Peter. I said, look, Peter, <laughs> I've been off the road for six months, to, uh, for four months doing this. And uh, and so I think I'm going to have to start charging. He said, fine. And we came upon a you know, a deal that we're both happy with, and we went forward. And then we went out on the road together because because uh, not MTV. Yeah, I guess MTV. Was MTV doing the unplugged thing? Yes. Okay, so they started doing unplugged. And uh, and Peter said, I want to go out and do an unplugged tour. Or was it VH1? Now you got me. It might yeah, have been it, was VH1. One, it was one or the other. But in any event, I said, uh, okay. I said, okay, I'll go out with you. And we went out and I would play a set and then he would play a set. And then uh, we would just spontaneously, he'd bring me back up and we'd just do something together. And that got so popular that people started demanding a recording of us singing together. So we, we went in the studio when we came back from the road the second time. And we just sat down looking at each other with microphones on, rolled tape, and uh, and recorded, you know, 10 songs that we've been doing on the road. So we, we were already rehearsed. And uh, it, it's, you know, it's it's ragged but right record. It's called uh, Two Man Band. And it's just Peter and I looking at each other and playing music live simultaneously. And, 
and the record did well for us. Uh, I just saw a recent video that I hadn't seen before. Somebody posted a really, really good yeah. quality HD video. Of really? The two of you. Yeah. Oh, of me and Peter? Of Peter and I? Yeah. Of the two of us? <laughs> yeah, now I, now I can't remember which song you were doing. I should have written it down. I'd like to see that because uh, they're doing a documentary on me. Uh, uh, there's a documentary filmmaker here in uh, in Bear Valley Springs that has done Badfinger and Steve Marriott and all these people. And, and uh, he came to one of my shows and said, I want to do a documentary on you. So we're doing that. So if you can find that footage, I'd like to know about it. All right, hang on. Let me, let me see if I can find it right now. Shouldn't take me too long because I could still just pull up a... Okay. So then we made uh, three duet albums together uh, through the years. And, and uh, once again, let's see, once again was the second one. And I must admit, I just, just when I rehearse here, I always sit down and I play for a while. And, and then I put on one of my CDs and I play all the songs in it so that wherever I go on the road, if somebody says, hey, can you do that? I can do it, you know? Yeah. So... So uh, I was playing the Once Again album, and I was I was actually stunned that it that, that it was so good. I, I didn't remember us being that good, but it's a really nice record. And Peter Peter really shines on that record. He sounds great, and the songs he wrote are really good, and the things we did together are good. You know, I remember that that I was I was troubled by that record because I'd written a song. Peter couldn't seem to get that uh, that feel, so he put something else to it, and I never liked what happened with that, and uh, and so I, I kind of didn't re I didn't really uh, promote the record from stage the way I, I can do, and it was all because I was I was stupid. I wasn't hearing what he did; I was hearing what I wanted him to do. You know, hmm. that could get in here. And, and in fact, he did a fine job. He just he, just that I wanted that little feet. I wanted it to sound. I wanted rhythmically it to be like uh, Dixie Chicken, and Peter had it doing a reggae thing um, and and he and he put the reggae thing conflict to my conflict of interest there and and it just uh, for me it didn't it didn't uh it didn't work as well as as both of us doing dc chicken but in any event uh listening to it now i can't imagine what my, my what my objection was when i heard it i went what kind of an asshole were you you know <laughs> but the yeah. record the whole 2020 the hindsight is yeah a, the whole record is good thing. and he shines on it and i've decided to submit it to some films because I want people to hear it, and there's a lot of TV and films that need music, and Peter Tork's name still has some resonance, so I'm going to so, jump oh, on that. Oh, it's Peter Tork and James Lee Stanley on 207, the year 2006. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen Doing that one. That something was, Rider? It was a, yeah, it was his song called Easy Rider that Easy he actually Rider, wrote. Yeah. He wrote for the movie, but they didn't like it, so they didn't use it. Uh, but that was in Maine on a TV station. Yeah, so I and, just saw that this morning. Yeah, I, I did see that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting song. When when I played that album, that's also on the Once Again album. And when I played it, I actually had to, to stop the, the the CD a couple of times to figure out what I played. It's a it's a very sophisticated chord progression. There's a couple of places that are simple blues, but the other places where it's what? Where did he go to here? You know, he was an inventive guy, musically unique. You know, yeah. nice to see him around town. So so now now you're in Tehachapi. I am. I live on top of a mountain. Yes. Oh, the old man of the mountain. I'm telling you, it's spectacular. Okay, well, well, I'm on top of a mountain, and I can see down to 3,000 feet below me out every window. Wow. And, it's, and, I, and I wrote all the songs for Susie up here, and, uh, and I also played everything on this album, which I don't normally do. I mean, I, I'm capable, but I really prefer the, the contribution of, of uh, other hearts and minds, you know. But there wasn't anybody dropping by because I lived two and a half hours from from uh, yeah. civilization. Yeah. yeah. Now, now uh, uh, Lawrence and Timothy could do things because I can just send them, I can send them files and they can send me back files. Yeah. But once I got rolling on this, I, I like the uh, the singular vision that this record has, and it has it because I, it's all coming from me. I played the bass. I played the piano. I played the drums. I played the the guitars, I did all the background vocals, I wrote all the songs, I swept the studio, I do my own hair, you know, it was like... <laughs> What's left of it? <laughs> I, I resemble that remark. So, wait, yes. this, is, this, is, this podcast is called Tales of the Road Warriors, so tell me a good fucking tale, because you've been on the road long enough to have a good story or two. Just give me one. Okay. Something fun, something you haven't told too many people. 
okay, I haven't told anybody this. I was playing this place where I had some celebrity. Uh, I could sell out the, the place for a week, okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, I flew in the the morning of the first show, which is something I rarely do, and they picked me up. Where was and, it? And they, What's uh, I don't want to say. Oh, you can't say. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I can't tell the whole story if I do that. Right. So anyhow, they picked me up, and they took me, and when we got, as we were getting, getting near the club, they turned some other direction. I said, what are you doing? They said, well, we're having a, a picnic. And I said, okay, uh, I'll go with you. So we go to the, the picnic, and it's everybody that works at the club all having a picnic. I'm a baseball game. And I get out of the car, and they go, hey, James. And I go, I, the first thing I yelled to them was, hey, when do I get to bat? You know, which I thought was funny because <laughs> I wasn't there. And, and they said, right now. So I walked up to the thing. I picked up a bat. It was softball. The, the first pitch I hit was a home run. It just went way. I mean, maybe the only time in my life I've ever done that because I'm not a, I'm not like a, you know, I don't do sports. Uh, I do it only for exercise, not because I, I, I play sports. In any event, I hit this home run, you know, and, and people are going, wow. And I go, well, you know, I got to get I got to get back to the hotel. I got to get rested. And I leave. So so that night uh, I'm at the club. I do my my first set. And I had an opening act. So when the opening act was playing, I went upstairs to where there was a bar and a pool table. And they're playing pool. And I walked over and I said, hey, when do I get a game? You know? oh, no. <laughs> I swear to God, this is true. And so the guy said, well, you can do it now. You want a break? And I said, sure. And I looked up and I said, now what happens if I sink the eight ball on the break? They said, well, of course you win. I said, okay. So they set the rack up. I swear to God, this is true. <laughs> I break the thing. The eight ball drops in the corner pocket. And they go, hey, wait a minute, you know, let's play again. I said, no, nah, this game has always bored me. It's too easy. You know, and I walked away because <laughs> I'm a shit, I'm a shit pool player, you know. But they, <laughs> but they would never know that because I hit a home run and then I dropped the eight ball on the break. And then uh, these two gorgeous women came up to me and, and the one I had dated before and her girlfriend, uh, she was eating some some chips and she had a chip on her, you know, a little piece of chip on her lip. And I went, went to, to, to move the chip off her lip. And she sucked my finger down her throat. <laughs> and, and an hour after my set, the three of us were back at the hotel. And it was one of the more spectacular evenings of my life. Oh, that's and uh, I'm spiritually probably in the toilet, but I'm telling you, <laughs> otherwise, it was a grand day. It was the most amazing day on the road I ever had. That's funny. That is funny. I once had a, a what happened? I was at a, some kind of bowling thing. I was in a bowling alley and I was telling people how bad I was. And I was, and I am. I, I'm mm-hmm. lucky to get 99. I can never <laughs> break 100. And I bowled like a 260 or something by some total fluke. I just kept getting struck. I, I, yeah, I never haven't like, bowled like that before or since. So since. I know that feeling when like you make a liar out of yourself in all the right ways. Yeah, no, it's that's funny. Bowling is like when I've actually bowled a two sixty eight once in my life, and uh, and every time I bowl, like I do about ninety five, and I have no idea where that two sixty eight came from. Yeah, it's just isn't that funny? It's just one of those things, you know. Yeah, lightning strikes. So um, okay, <laughs> don't forget without Susie's the new album. www.jamesleestanley.com is the website where you can order every one of my albums, or you can just do a download for ten bucks. And uh, and there's also a, a blog where I've, I've I tell everything that I've ever known about how to do this business. It's called Data Musicata, D A T A, M U S I C A T A, Data Musicata. It's free. There's no you don't have to register or give me your email. You just go there. There's a search engine and there's about 700 articles up there. So about every subject that you might need to know about uh, touring or performing or recording or composing or being a house guest or I'll vouch whatever. for that I read Dada Musica and and um, it's funny because I was just about to ask you to, if you want to do some shameless self-promotion and you just launched right into it so that was perfect yeah well if we're going to end the thing I want to make sure and also you can go to allwoodandstones.com allwoodandoors.com and soon allwoodandlead.com and then be able to actually go to talesoftheroadwarriors.com and have oh. links to all the things we talked about. So I'm, I'm making that's, it easy for them. So that, well, that's great. Everything man. will be that's on great. one page. That's great. And you know, Hal and I are friends because I was on Star Trek as a as an extra. It was various aliens, and he was living with just a beautiful woman that I had such a case on. And but you know, I was married, so there was never any anything there except for the fact that I 
just never got tired of looking at her or being around her, you know. You, the two of you came to a show, and that yeah. was when I met you, I think, when you came uh, to the show with her. Right. And, uh, and we became friends, and I haven't seen, I haven't seen Patty in eight or ten years, and, you know, I saw you a couple of months ago, you know. So If you Google, do a search on Google for your name, James Lee Stanley, the uh -huh. first picture you see is you as a smiling Klingon. And everybody really? knows Klingons are not known for smiling. So I need to oh. know, how did that picture get out of the box? I have to tell you, man, that, that was so funny because every time I was a Klingon, they'd go, okay, uh, quiet on the set. Uh, uh, we're ready. Uh, uh, rolling. At, wait a minute. Klingon in the back. You're a Klingon. Stop smiling. I, you know, <laughs> I was... I was always so tickled to be dressed in those crazy outfits and with all that makeup on. And it was so fun that I had to remind myself, I mean, every picture you see of me on Star Trek, I'm, I smile. <laughs> just or, smiling or Klingon. You know, yeah, I was just, and also whenever I did the singing for the Klingon. Yeah, too, they, Kling they called Klingon. you the singing Klingon, but I call yes. you the smiling Klingon after seeing that picture. Yeah, it's true. I was always, I was always having a good time, you know? Yeah. So oh, in closing, I just want to get back to you. you, you you're going. I want to wish you well and, and good health for and 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 um, you know. Good luck. Prayers are with you during the surgery. And Thanks, so, do you, a, a, any idea when you're going to sing again afterward, or you just it's just, just like a wait and see kind of thing? Uh, well, they, they they say that uh, they, they don't think it will affect my voice, but uh, but they they wanted me to cancel everything for the rest of the year. So the first time I'm playing, Severn Brown and I are doing a show in Coolox Woodshed in Los Angeles on the very first Friday in January. Uh, it's a it's a tradition I've done. Severn and I have done a show on the first Friday in January for the last 11 years. And uh, so that's that's the first show that I'm going to be able to do after after they cut oh, part of my... Oh, that would be great. I would look forward to that. Now, and, I and usually... it's televised, too. You can see it, you know, because he... He has a webcam. A web I, yeah. Oh, he's got like five webcams, and he. Yeah. It's very. It's great. Place. You see all these concerts on the webs, and he's got archives. And my last question is usually, who should I call next, and what should I ask him? And if you're a good friend of mine, you're going to say Paul Kulak, because I'd love to talk to Paul about the years he's as the as the. You know what? That would be easy. I'll I'll call him now and tell him. Uh, I'll give him. I got all your contact info. Let me make sure. And I'll just text it to him. Oh, that would be great. Tell tell Paul Hal wants to talk to him on the podcast and, and shoot the shoot the. I'm shit. sure he'll do it, man. And he's an interesting, dude. Oh yeah, I, I believe me. I know. Yeah, so um, I, I I turned the phone off. So uh, if I don't have your info, I'll call you back. But I think I have everything. All right, that would be great. Yeah, yeah I, I sent him. I sent him an email, but he never uh, answered. And I'm like, why wouldn't Paul no, answer? I'll, I'll, I'll call him. But he gets, you know, he does get busy with the with the place. So, yeah, you're yeah. kidding. It's it's a it's a labor of love, and he's never made any money at it, man. It's always been you know yeah. a financial drain on him, and he does it anyhow. He's he's a he's like a genuine patron of the arts. That guy. Yeah. He's a pioneer. He is, and so. and he's the first one. That, he put all these cameras. What you're talking about? He's got one camera that's hanging off of the ceiling. It's on a on a track that goes the whole length of, of the the showroom, and he's got the camera attached to a skateboard that's hanging upside down, and he's got it motorized, yeah. so he can he can move that thing back and forth. And he has three cameras, and boom stand, and he has a cup another. I mean, it, it's so fun. You should watch it. Coolox Woodshed, K U L A K S, Coolox Woodshed. And and the room itself looks like Pee Wee's Playhouse, doesn't it, man? Yeah, it does, but got, much more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, it's just wonderful, and, uh, and the sound is good. And Paul is a great dude, and and uh, I do I usually do one other show a year for him, you know. And I and I actually gave him a case of CDs once. I told him just sell the CDs and keep all the money. So I gave him a hundred CDs to. Wow, that was nice. Just sell and keep the money. Remember you know? that time we all went to the courthouse, went to bat for him because the neighbor was. Oh, uh, yeah. I do remember that. Is he still there? That's that the... guy's still next door. No, man, that guy's long gone. I think he died of AIDS. <laughs> What a what an ordeal! Yeah, very strange. He used to stand outside in in his underwear, doing kickboxing things against yeah, the. Yeah, maybe I'll talk to Paul about that. We'll bring, we'll we'll go we'll get into that. That'll be great. <laughs> you know what, man? I I actually brought some TV people down there because I wanted to do a series. I said, "Come on, this is a natural." You know, this room, call it Kulox Woodshed, and it's not only do you have some music every night, every every episode, but you have all this other drama that goes on. Oh, and, characters, and, yeah. 
and and just just the, the permutations of the lives of every performer you could i mean it it's it will be an endless uh uh well of of interesting and fun things well you know you paul know? started like a, a web some webisodes and uh that would would have been a perfect uh vehicle to spring yeah. from that into I was on one of them yeah. i was on one yeah yeah you were on one of them but i think your idea of making it into more of like a you know uh, uh, like reality TV series kind of thing. a dramedy with uh, with uh, with uh, what do they call that variety sh- uh, a drum a dramedy variety show is what yeah, it would be. Yeah, there you go. Well, all right. Yeah. Anyway, I, I got to leave for my gig now. I, I'm actually playing tonight. So good, man. You knock on me for a change. <laughs> <laughs> me, 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 and more me. It's me that has okay. to go for a gig for a change. Uh, I'm glad to hear from my glad we finally did this. I love what you're doing, and uh, and folks, you know, support this warrior thing. Because we are road warriors. We don't give up. I'm 73. I'm st- I, I did 17 dates in 21 days in April, remember? Yeah. And I drove all the dates. You're the epitome of a road warrior, so. And I made I'm glad this I got gotcha. you. <laughs> okay, bye, Al. All right, best of health, man. Thanks. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? James Lee Stanley. So let's wish him well got a couple months of recuperation and then he'll be at Kulak's Woodshed in January and I think his voice should be fully recovered by then and I think it's going to be a great show so if you're in LA in Southern California try to make that it's great room great room you can help James out because there's a lot of expenses incurred with this hospital thing go to his website jamesleestanley.com and there's an online store there you can get a cds and it doesn't matter if you buy them all or just one you will be ecstatic with anything you buy from james because it's all great and if you have a couple shekels left over you want to help me out with the podcast um there's a little red gas can it says um gas money just click on that And you can just throw a buck or so into my PayPal account. And it all goes to the podcast, Tales of the Road Warriors. And that's it. We're going to see you next week. Trying to think, who am I talking to next week? Oh, the Lyra Lyra Project, Rick Denzine and and Deborah Lee. That's going to be good. And then after that, we've got, ooh, very special guests, the Ronstadt Brothers. And these are the nephews of Linda Ronstadt, Michael and Petey, for some more good stuff. It's getting better, right? All right. In the meantime, I'm going for a drive. (laughs) 